Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of OT Watch Your Focus. I hope you're all safe and well. This week I'm talking with Annalise who is a paediatric occupational therapist working in Melbourne, Australia. Annalise and I actually connected via my OT Watch Your Focus Instagram account where her creative yet practical ideas caught my attention. By using everyday objects that many people could find around the home, Annalise has enabled parents to both start and continue their occupational therapy sessions via the new way of working in Australia, which is telehealth. Working from home with their children, they've had some great responses to the therapy sessions. Annalise is a new graduate, so I cannot imagine the immense pressure she must have felt having to go solo with an entirely new way of working yet she's adapted to it and done so well. As usual, I will be posting Annalise's recommendations into the show notes. And if you can, do subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, as it all helps to spread the word and knowledge to others. I hope you enjoy the episode. So, hi Annalise, uh, welcome to the podcast today. I'm really happy to have you on the show. I just wondered if you might want to start today by telling us a bit about you and your role and how you came to OT. Yeah, of course. So, um, I am a new graduate occupational therapist specialising in paediatrics. Um, so, I have been working at a private practice clinic since the beginning of the year. Um, in paediatrics, mainly surrounding the diagnosis of ASD, um, sensory processing, ADHD, and a few kiddos with some muscular um, conditions, and um, as well as learning disabilities and intellectual disabilities. Um, and I suppose coming to OT, I studied in in school, we, I studied health and those kinds of subjects. And I was always really quite interested in either going into either nursing, midwifery, OT or speech. Um, and I kind of narrowed it down and chose OT. So I had that broad range to choose from. Um, so initially wanted to go into PED. So I thought this would be a great segue into there and be a little bit fun. And then, yeah, I went to university for four years at Australian Catholic University and got my degree. Um, and here I am today. Oh, amazing. So how does the course kind of work in Australia for you guys? Is it an undergrad? Is the whole four years undergrad or is it like three years undergrad, one postgrad? Yeah, so our universities vary a little bit. So um, at ACU, we have a four-year complete undergrad. Grad. So um, beginning from first year, it's OTs only. So everything is just OT. You don't really start off with general health science and then specialising. You just begin with it. So you have the whole four years to specialise and learn everything possible about OT. So I found that really, really helpful. Um, and that, that particular university was affiliated with a lot of hospitals um, that really promoted OT. So that was helpful. Oh, cool. So was it a case of you would do sort of a block of uni work and then a block of placement? Like how many placements a year would you have? Did it vary? 
Yeah, so we, in Australia, we have to have at least 1,000 hours of placement over four years. Um, so the first year is just a few observational um, weeks. And then as you go up, it grades more into a longer block and a more independent block. So, um, for example, in second year, you had a two-week block and then some observations. First year was some observations um, and a... I went on a camp with muscular dystrophy and then third year, five week blocks. And then your final year was nine week blocks and a project. So a research kind of project as well. Oh, okay. Awesome. So obviously I found you um, on Instagram on your OT and me page. And what really stood out to me were your posts are quite a bit different. And this was based on kind of, you post a lot of therapy ideas up and I sort of, I, I do, there's so much on Insta, right, that you can just be bombarded. But yeah. it stood out because you were using objects like hairbands, wooden spoons, buttons, pasta, puzzles, and it was really creative, but it struck me how accessible and easy it would be for any parent really to find in a child's home so if you're implementing that in a therapy setting whether that's in the community or out in a hospital it's still keeping it accessible for the parents can to continue that through at home if they want to so have you always worked like that from the start of your career I mean I know you said you're a new grad but obviously you're, you're out in practice now doing pediatrics so do you ever incorporate more elaborate equipment or are you just sort of really innovative and thinking this could be really practical and implemented easily at home? Yeah I think um, going into going into work straight away I was so excited by all these amazing resources and games so I thought yep yeah, we've got to use all of these things we have, I can put my hands on so many different things, but it wasn't until I started thinking, well, how are they going to implement this in home practice? Do they, what if they don't have this toy? How are they going to work on these certain skills? Um, and then COVID happened and we had to work from home doing telehealth. So I was at home and I didn't have any toys around and I couldn't show the kids what I was using. So I just started using things that I had and that their parents would probably have and try to make it a little bit silly, a little bit fun um, so that they can use it in session and see how I'm doing it. And then also keep doing it at home. So they don't just come to OT and play with these things while they're in session once a fortnight, they can do it all the time. Um, so just to work on that resilience for that. So ironically, really COVID has made your practice more accessible even though you're in more distance proximity wise it's making it more accessible for that continuation at home for the therapy I love that definitely definitely and a little bit more helpful for the parents as well having that um realistic expectations of you know reaching for these items and and using them in these in these silly and fun ways um instead of telling them oh we, you know you need to go out and you need to buy a trampoline and a and a therapy sock when we can you know we can just jump on the spot or use a pillowcase so just a different way to look at it as well cost effective I think too oh definitely so where do you get your inspiration for some of your resources so I particularly love the one I saw where you kind of just literally had a ball of play-doh I think it was like a little cocktail stick and then they were just sort of stacking buttons I love that one I think um I just spend a lot of my time just playing around with things even on the weekend. So trying to figure out different ways to use it, um, especially as we've exhausted a lot of telehealth ideas. So I play around with it, see what, what I can do. Um, 
and then just work on lots of different repetitive activities. So the little, the little Play-Doh balls and we call it like a little toothpick and then stacking buttons. So it's that repetitive movement um, and building on that. So it's something that started really, really simple um, but depending on the child, we can grade it in a different way. We can only use one hand or we can use tongs or we can take turns with mum and the child or we can pretend they're trees and work on play skills and imaginative um, play. So, yeah, just a bit of trial and error. Some things don't turn out great, um, but some things do. And how are you sort of communicating that with the parents? Are you sort of email? I know we're going to talk about the telehealth in a little while, but are you sort of emailing ahead? I'm thinking about doing this. Could you have this stuff ready? Or how have you facilitated that with the kind of distance element? Yeah. So what I was originally doing was um, sending an email the night before to all the parents that all the, all the families I'd have the next day and say, can you grab this, this, and this? Um, and then it just became quite, exhausting for me and the parents to have to run around so I sent out a huge email saying let's just make an OT kit and we can pop you know some play-doh some pencils some cotton balls some cotton buds some pasta and have all of this in a little container and whenever we have OT just bring it out and we'll just use things from there um, just so it's accessible and we can have a plan a b c and d so we can always have the child choose something from there and I'll have it as well so we can do it collaboratively. Um, so that's been working so far. So fingers crossed that keeps working. Oh, that's a really cool idea. And also I think for the child, they can sort of visualise and think, oh, okay, box is coming out. It's OT time, you know? That's it. Yeah, for that routine as well. And, you know, having, feeling a little bit special and like they have a responsibility to look after these things in this box and, and even giving the ability, okay, you choose something and we can, I'll follow your lead. Um, so, yeah. Perfect. And I'd imagine for those children that, you know, like that routine and that repetitiveness of, okay, this is what's in the box, you know, I suppose you could add things if you wanted to, but I suppose you'd never take anything away because then it would be a bit like, oh no, that's not in there now. I mean, obviously they're going to probably lose things, but you know, that idea that you're keeping it consistent. I, I really like that concept. Just familiar and, um, and consistent is key, I think. Okay, so how would a family, obviously I'm talking to you from the UK and you're based in Melbourne, how would a family ordinarily be referred to paediatric OT in Australia? Because obviously we've, we're quite unique here in the UK with the NHS, but what's the process like for parents or even caregivers that are trying to navigate the healthcare system in Melbourne? Are you obviously being paediatrics, is that something that's picked up in preschool or nursery or infant school? How would that work? Yeah, so we have a few different ways that we can access um, these allied health services. So um, a paediatrician can refer a family to an OT or a speech pathologist or a physio or a dietitian um, using, we have Medicare, which is our healthcare system. So they can get five sessions each calendar year and they can get a rebated price. Um, or they could have a mental health care plan, which is 10 sessions a year with the rebated price. Or um, for families that are experiencing um, hardship or some socioeconomic battles, we could refer with um, the, the Department of Human Services. They can issue little plans um, with some funding for not only therapy, but also resources. Um, but something that we have that is quite new in Australia is the NDIS. So the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And this is where children can 
receive a body of funding um, to, depending on their disability or if they have um, any kind of delay or intellectual delay, physical um, or mobility issues, they can receive this funding. It's a yearly plan and they can use their funding on that as well. And they are not out of pocket for that. So sometimes you can be out of pocket and sometimes you may not be. Um, and as well, you can also go through private health insurance. Um, so there are a few different ways. There's probably things that I've forgotten as well. Um, but those are the most common ones that I see in private practice at the moment for my clients. Okay, so that kind of leads quite nicely into what was going to be the next point I wanted to say, which is obviously here in the UK, we're so, so fortunate to have the NHS and that is completely free at the point of delivery and private healthcare here in the UK is optional for those who want and can afford it. So you've obviously answered, is it the same in Australia? Not quite, but kind of, but is there a need for private OT service? Obviously, I'm assuming, is it sort of um, from how I've just understood about how you've outlined the therapy sessions, is it a case of they're like a reduced rate so the parents still have to contribute something other than the NDIS or is it free for children up to a certain age or? Yeah, so that's where it gets a little bit confusing for my understanding. So being in private practice, um, if you do have a mental health care plan or something called the EPC, which is from Medicare, from your pediatrician, you usually are out of pocket a little bit. Um, but I think, I think if you go through the public system, so through a hospital, that might vary, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. Um, just familiar with that private practice area, but yeah, that's, that seems to be, um, majority of the caseload however a lot of it is at that NDIS where they are not out of pocket. So does that affect your kind of your caseload and your waiting time so is, is there a long wait for OT services in Melbourne or? Yeah so OT has um, I think has just become booming in the last couple of years it's something still quite new to parents to hear obviously they always hear about speech pathologists because that makes sense if they have a child that is a late talker or has a list um, whereas OT can be a little bit more abstract so understanding why why their child might need OT um, and for a child to be prompted or get referred to OT it usually comes from somebody else like a pediatrician or another allied health professional um, a lot of the time many parents don't realize that um, they can access OT if they if they flag an issue um, like sensory processing. So yeah, like I feel like there is a significant wait list for OT, especially for those sensory processing challenges and that emotional regulation, um, where other health professionals um, don't specify in that area. So I definitely think yeah, there's quite a large wait list. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting to know. So you're kind of um, advocating at the same point as offering a service, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I think the world of OT is still in that little buffer area of advocating the importance of OT and balancing out the demand for it. So it's still quite an unknown area to many, um, which is which is understandable. It is something so vast and so broad. Um, yeah. So would you be able to talk the listeners through kind of what would be like a, a usual daily routine for you? So obviously you get up, you, you head into work. What would you usually do once you get there? 
yeah, so I would get to work. Um, and then I would usually have my plan for my clients done the day before. I usually just like to do it the day before. And then I usually typically see five clients a day. So I'll go into their little files and write a little plan of what we'll do, prepare some visuals to make a visual schedule um, and organize my resources. And then have usually a few clients in the morning. Um, they usually are 45, session, 45 minute sessions to an hour. And then we note take um, and then yeah, have a lunch break. And after that, we usually get um, two hours of admin and that admin might involve report writing, contacting teachers, having one-on-one um, -on -one supervision or group supervision for OT or even just the team environment. And then another few sessions at the end of the day. Um, and then note take and prepare for the next day. So I can rock up to work, understanding what I need to do. <laughs> so what age are your clients? What's your age range that you take them from? Yeah, so our specific um, private practice specializes in children zero to seven. Um, however, I see mainly four to eight at the moment um, as they are growing with the company. So yeah, that really in early intervention um, age range, which um, we, we feel like it has the most evidence base behind that. So those are the ages we choose. So when they reach seven, I'm presuming, do they then kind of transfer onto a school's team if they're still needing that support? Yeah, so we have contacts um, around our area in Melbourne that we can refer on to that specialise in um, adolescents, teenagers, and even into adulthood, um, or depending on their school environment, if they're in a specialized school, um, will they continue getting support there? Or if they're in a mainstream school, is there, um, any other external services that could come to them? Um, just to continue to have that continuum of care. Um, but yeah, like I said, some of the clients have, that have been there for so long are still continuing on a little bit, um, longer than the seven seven-year-old cutoff. So we're, we're a little bit flexible with that um, just to maintain that relationship um, with the clients and the families. Oh, okay, great. So obviously when you were just saying about your um, typical day, that would obviously be prior to COVID. So I was wondering, you mentioned telehealth earlier. Could you maybe explain what telehealth is and how that's been during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so telehealth, um, we were introduced to that in mid-March. Um, basically, that is completing OT services purely online. Um, we use Zoom for our telehealth services. And we run the 45-minute session completely online, um, sometimes 45 minutes just with the child, always with the parents supervising or close by, or sometimes it can involve um, a parent coaching session. So if the child is unable to attend to a screen um, due to um, difficulties with focus and engagement, we can coach the parents in helping them get the most engagement out of their child and what language they can use and what activities can prompt them to extend their attention and engagement. Um, so yeah, it's given us a different view to conduct therapy with and also strengthened that relationship with parents, I think, as well over that time. I think it's kind of, it's a bit of a 50-50, isn't it? Because you so want to be present 
in therapy and get that real connection and that engagement. But on the same level, I feel a massive part of what OT is aiming to achieve is that kind of transfer of skill. So by transferring those skills onto the parent, by doing it this way, because there's no other choice, right? With, you know, hands are tied, it has to be done that way. So it's, it is, it's a real 50, 50, isn't it? It's kind of, I don't see it as neither as a negative as such, but you know, I, it's a massive adjustment, especially as a newly qualified. I mean, talk about pressure, right? How have you found that? Definitely. I've spent more of my time as a new graduate delivering OT via telehealth than face-to-face. So that's definitely not something I expected I would be doing. Um, However, due to the current lockdowns in Melbourne, that is the path that we are following. Um, But I think as difficult as it was to transition as a therapist into that environment by thinking of things to do in the home environment that I can also address their goals for, such as fine motor skills, using pegs and play, and also looking at their gross motor skills by, you know, telling them to do these animal walks. And I'm trying to get mum to film the camera following the child and tell me which hands they're using. So that was a little bit difficult. Um, But I feel like it's put me in a really great position to get to know these clients and these families um, as a new grad. So they're really comfortable with me and happy to, you know, build that relationship and develop that trust. Um, and looking the- on, looking on that flip side, sorry, I, I was just, it popped into my head and I was thinking, <laughs> hang on a minute, let's think about a client group here. And I was thinking about obviously ASC and I was thinking they may not want to engage because you've got this real issue with eye contact and you've got this issue with, are they wanting this to work out this way? Have you found actually there's been any negative effects such as that, like they don't want to come to the iPad or the computer or they don't want to engage because maybe it's a bit too abstract for them to maybe perceive what's happening here if they've been used to a physical therapy session? Definitely. Um, A lot of, for a lot of children, it is really challenging because you know, they, they do have to just sit down in their home environment and look at me on a computer or just listen to me on a computer um, and for those, those children that have lots of sensory processing um, challenges, it can be hard for them to just attend to me face-to-face, let alone over the computer. So that's when we try to take the pressure off the child and really reset those expectations with the parents um, by just letting them know, you know, it's not expected that little Jimmy has to sit in front of, in front of the camera and, and look at me for 45 minutes. You know, maybe, maybe we can both build something and then we can show each other and then that's enough. And then we can do something else and then show each other. Or, you know, you can just, you can film him and follow around the room and I'll coach you in different ways to engage him and, and work on object permanence and work on surprise elements. Um, and, and provide him with, you know, that co-regulation skills. So there's always something that we can give, um, even if a child simply is struggling to attend or simply doesn't want to do a session, um, because that can happen too. That's understandable with this current global pandemic at the moment. And how are you looking kind of work-wise for the future? I mean, have you had discussions about if telehealth is going to seem to be a permanent feature or are you getting back into practice sessions with individuals or yeah so um in march we went into telehealth and we did that for about 10 weeks 
And then in Melbourne, we were lucky enough to be able to return back to work for a few weeks as the restrictions eased. However, we've um, been in a second wave. So we're back into even more strict restrictions than ever before. And this will be lasting until about mid-September. Um, so the hope is to eventually return to face-to-face -to -face as for many clients, it was most beneficial. Um, but some clients will continue telehealth purely for that reason, because it was, it was accessible to them. They were in their home environment. They were comfortable. The anxiety of the child and the parent, you know, lessened. Um, and that's that suits their lifestyle. So it was a little bit 50-50. So some, some wanted to come back. And some wanted to continue telehealth and I'm assuming it will be the same once we can return back to work the second time and hopefully the last time. It's all personal choice, right? You've got to follow but what people it. are comfortable with. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what do you feel you personally get out of being an OT? So your personal perspective, what do you gain? So obviously you're giving so much to these kids that you're working with. What do you get back from that, do you feel? I think that's a really tricky question always to ask. I feel like um, I grew up, grew up with morals that giving was really, really important and I always wanted to continue giving. So if I can give a little bit of comfort, a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of empathy, um, that's really important to me just so just so the other person, the recipient can have that special connection and feel listened to and feel heard and feel assisted or supported even in the slightest. So I think just having that, that feeling for myself that I'm helping somebody in any particular way um, is really, really rewarding. And it makes me feel like I am you know, making a difference in people's lives. And I am using these skills that I've developed through uni, through experience and through work um, and putting them to good use to, you know, give hope to our, to the future of our world with these children um, and help their parents support them to reach their full potential. Oh, that's so nice. That's a really, that's really, really heartwarming what you just said. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you find the, the online OT community? I mean, I am so super new, it's ridiculous. Like, I only joined Instagram a few weeks ago, and already this morning I've deleted a comment on my own Insta account. I'm such a noob, as my boys call me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wondered, I just feel like I've learned so much. I've been in contact with so many people. I've, you know, and everyone's always so forthcoming with kind of advice and signpointing and you know I just wondered how do you find the online OT community because you've got a nice following online so obviously you've been on there a lot longer than me and a lot more skilled at this so how have you found that? I I um I started my little OT account um I think maybe three or three or four years ago when I worked as a disability support worker um with children and as a babysitter with children with special needs. And I think I always was interested in finding new ideas and reaching out to others, um, as particularly in the workforce of OT, just so I could give myself that professional development in that informal way. Um, and as I grew with uni and as I grew as a therapist, I think the following really developed as well. And regardless of me being a therapist or a disability support worker, I always felt equally as supported um, so all of the, all of the people on 
this network are quite quite caring and enthusiastic about what they're doing and giving that information to anybody, whether you be a parent or a teacher's aide or a teacher. Um, it's quite it's quite an exciting quite an exciting um, environment and atmosphere, I suppose. It's always been quite supportive. I've never seen anything negative. Um, and yeah, it's quite female dominant, which is really, um, really great as well. So there's a lot of women supporting women, which I find really fantastic. And there's always something new going on, right? You're always seeing like an intervention or someone's kind of knocked up something to guide you with a model or a framework. And I'm like, yes, that's just what I need. And I just, I think it's great. It's such a shame. I've left it so long. So I, I reckon it's a great resource for all OTs. Do you agree? Definitely. And I think like um, it is that informal way to learn things. You know, you don't feel like you have to go read and research article um, to learn something, even though that is great. You know, sometimes we we learn visually and through these Instagram posts of all these people posting their creations and their podcasts and their videos. That's a great way of learning as well, informally or formally. Definitely. So what I always ask every guest I speak to is I'm trying to create this sort of resource that like we were just talking about that I can put onto my Insta account and onto my show notes of my podcast. So would you be able to recommend either a book, film, article, website or other media that you feel listeners might benefit from knowing about, catching up on or maybe even listening to? Yeah, so I was thinking about this one a lot um, because primarily I use a lot of websites or blogs to find um, ideas or new research just because I find that that's most eye-catching to me and most exciting. So um, frequent websites that I visit um, are usually Teachers Pay Teachers, which is um, primarily developed by teachers but also a lot of allied health um, Practitioners have jumped on there sharing resources such as social stories, interactive little ebooks, um, and little little PDFs for all an array of different things with visual schedules. Um, and it's quite accessible. And it you can also specialize it to your curriculum, whether you're in Australia, UK, Canada, or US. It can be really quite broad. So that's a really great one. There's also another couple. Um, in Australia, we have Twinkle, which is um, in line with our schooling curriculum, which is fantastic. So you really know where the child is and what they're learning in school. So you can match your goals to that. Um, and there's a few more like um, the OT Toolbox and Tots, Tots Schooling. So there's a few that are really, really extravagant and um, amazing with jam-packed resources um, and a lot of free resources as well, which is really accessible for um, therapists working from home at the moment. So they can not only access it for themselves, but the parent can also jump on and print out another um, PDF or, or view another slideshow or read another social story without having to um, put any money towards that. So those are a few really great ones. Perfect. I love all those resources and I'll put the link to all of those up in the show notes. And obviously I will put your details as well. If people want to get in touch with you and follow you on Instagram and see what you're up to on there, because it's really, it is, it is a really good page. I love looking at it and thinking, Oh, you could do that at home and you could do that at home. And that's really accessible. And yeah, so all those details will be on the show notes and we will wrap it up there. I've loved talking with you. 
and thank you so thank much you. for coming on. No, I appreciate it dearly. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Talk to you soon. All right. Safara, thank you. So Annalise was absolutely brilliant. It was really interesting to talk about her daily routine, both prior and during COVID and exploring how the healthcare systems vary in Australia compared to the UK. I love the part about how the relations with parents has actually strengthened via the use of telehealth, which is obviously purely an online service via Zoom. And although COVID-19 has changed things, it's actually in certain ways and on certain levels maybe even improve them I suppose you could say. Annalise is on Instagram so you can follow her at ot.and.me and I really recommend you check out her Instagram because the ideas are really practical and functional and fun and interesting so yeah you need to go and have a look at that. I wanted to just say as well thank you to everyone for listening i suddenly thought the other day i don't actually know if i thanked you for listening so yeah thanks a lot and like i said at the beginning if you can subscribe do you can then get an update when every new episode is released and you can reach out to me as well via email ot what's your focus at gmail.com or I'm on Instagram under the same account name as OT underscore what's your focus. And yeah, I love to get your feedback. It's really touching some of the lovely, lovely comments I've received recently. So every one of them's appreciated. Until next time, take care. And the next one's interesting. So you want to catch that. Have a great week. <laughs>